This is episode 138 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Welcome to episode 138 of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today I have Yakov Perchik on the show. Yakov is a gentleman who was listening to my podcast for quite some time. We had sent some messages over Instagram, and he's really started to turn it on of late in the city of Toronto. So he's been taking single-family homes and converting them into triplexes and getting like $2,000 and more of cash flow, which is absolutely wild. Some of the really impressive things here were Yakov's ability to keep the actual monetary contribution for renovations down and also to be able to optimize his space and optimize the money that he's getting out of it. Um, not a lot of people are doing this in Toronto, at least that come on this podcast. And I don't often hear this type of story. So it was specifically interesting because so often I've looked at Toronto as a place where it's hard to get cash flow. But of course, there's there's a way to get cash flow anywhere. And Yakov's story is really a testament to that. There are always opportunities right in your neighborhood. And it's just a matter of knowing how to find them or asking, how can I turn this into an opportunity? So it was really nice to hear his story. Um, and now he's since uh, started graduating into a more aggressive development where he's going to be building a significant addition and getting uh, minor variance approvals uh, for a property, a single detached home that he's bought. And he talks through his process. He's very diligent, very numbers oriented. And I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I certainly did. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into episode 138 with Yakov Perchik. Hello and welcome to the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. I have Yakov Perchik on the show. Yakov, thanks for doing this. Thanks so much for having me, man. I got to be honest, this is this is kind of on my bucket list. <laughs> so uh, this is a huge honor. And I just wanted to say you're actually a massive part of the reason why I even got into this. Um, so you've just been completely instrumental to starting off my journey. And so many people that have come after me, you're the first person I refer them to. So just thank you for everything that you've done for this community and for me. That's something I've heard a couple of times that people have, because now we've been far enough along and we got two years in, you know, yep. on this podcast that people are actually seeing some, some pretty big results since the start. Right. So yeah, um, cool. Thank you for that. Um, why don't you uh, just start us off with, you know, telling me a little bit about yourself and, and what you're up to. I know we've, we've chatted on Instagram here and there over the last year and a half, I think. Uh, yeah. But uh, for anyone not familiar with you, go ahead and, and enlighten us. Uh, sure. Well, uh, I guess <laughs> a bit of a backstory is uh, I was born in Russia, as you can tell by my by my very local name. And uh, I came when I was five. I came from a very, very poor family. We were on welfare and I never really was around anything that had to do with wealth or mindset or real estate or anything. Um, and then as I was growing up, I, I got into into tech consulting and that was, you know, it was it was a good way to sell my time for money. And it was it was a good way to get out of uh, the kind of cycle of just uh, not a lot going on. But then I didn't really see a way to get to the next level. And then uh, I got married and my my father-in-law, he's a real estate investor out in Ajax and Pickering. And he told us, hey, you guys should go get a house. And uh, it was it was never really a thing I, I aspired to. And my real estate agent said, uh, when we were looking around at places, he showed us his one place and he said, hey, you know, this is a good one, but, you know, maybe next one you can do as an investment property. This one might work too. And I've always been like a numbers guy and very analytical. So I went home after that and I 
started to, to do some research. I said, okay, well, what can we do with this one that he just showed us? Um, and he mentioned that somebody had done, uh, bought a house that's pretty similar to this one, and they turned that one into a triplex. So I went and ran some numbers, did some research. What are the rents? And I said, well, wow, if we do this one as a triplex, maybe, maybe the next one will be even easier to find or something. So at that point, I started to binge, well, actually, your, your podcast. I, I tried to get as much information as I could about, well, real estate investing. Is this a thing that I can do? Is this a thing I want to do? And at the same time, we were looking for more places. Like, we were still looking. And we actually ended up landing on the very first place that we saw. And we grabbed that one. This was in August 2019. And uh, we totally switched our strategy. We said, okay, instead of doing the this one and living in it and then buying the next one as an in investment property. We just said, nope, we're going to do this one. So we bought it in August, 2019, and we turned the, this one into a triplex uh, with three two-bedroom units. Rents were going crazy. Um, and uh, it was it was just a, a total home run. So after we were done, it was uh, three two-bedroom units, each rented for 2,000. And it, and it was, uh, it was just it, it just showed me that it can be done and that I can do it. It's not rocket science. It's not something crazy. It's just a matter of uh, getting the right team together and getting the right strategy together, finding the right deal and, and just pulling the trigger. Um, so that, that's what got me totally hooked. And it's been, it's been a crazy ride since then too. So this was originally going to be your home potentially. And then you just decided to do it into a triplex. Yeah. So what was it? What type of building? So it's actually a semi-detached single family home. Okay. And how many square feet approximately? It was about 1,300 square feet uh, yeah, above three ground. Three two-bed bed units in that? Well, there's also a basement. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's, it's, one, it's one unit uh, per floor. And then the basement, they didn't have a, we, didn't, like, we didn't have a second entrance to it. Um, but we used our front porch and we actually cut a, uh, cut a strip right out of the slab and put stairs down into the cold room that was underneath the front porch. And that became our it became our entrance to the our basement unit. I love it. Yeah, it, it makes a lot of sense to do that kind of thing in Toronto um, because you, you can just monetize those units so much. Every unit you add is worth so much money. Yeah, and uh, in Toronto, you know, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty. Now it doesn't matter. We have such an enormous shortfall of uh, viable, safe rental units um, that that any unit that yeah, comes online that's you know, that's passable and that looks good and that people want to live in, it just gets snatched up immediately. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Is 2000 about market rent? That's right. Okay. So if you were to go out to, tomorrow and re-rent one of these units, would you have 10 applications at 2000? That's right. Yeah. Now, now, yes. Uh, maybe three months ago, it would have been down to about 1800 or so. Um, so now it's back up to what it was before, like pre-pandemic. Okay. So rents, yeah, they took a little while to recover. I know. And, and even like condos kind of came down in value for a little while. And now, now things have, have started to recover. So, um, yeah. that's good yeah. news. Okay. So what else have you got going on? That was the first one that was going to be the home, but you decided to do it as an investment instead. So I'm guessing you were renting somewhere else. Yep. Yep. Okay. I was renting in, uh, in the middle of Toronto in Yorkville mm -hmm. and, uh, so after we finished that one, then we refinanced it. And uh, then it was June 2020 is when we got our second one. Um, so it was about three months after we'd done our first reno. Uh, we got, got all rented out and immediately kicked off the, um, uh, the refinance. And we were, we were able to get an amazing appraisal on that one. So we bought that, that first one at 837. 
and we refinanced after a hundred thousand of reno um at a million fifty uh wait a minute okay so the first one 837 yeah. let's just crunch these numbers no, real quick. let's do the do you want to do the second one the second one's even crazier okay actually. yeah we'll, we'll, we'll dig into that one too but i just loosely sure. want to know so so 837 you bought for how did you renovate and turn something into a triplex for 100 grand so the reason that we we picked this particular one is because it already had the layout for what we wanted to do so the upstairs, it already had um, a big enough, it was a three bedroom. So it already had a big enough bedroom that I was going to turn into a kitchen living room. Um, it already had a bathroom. So all I needed to do was throw in a kitchen upstairs and separate out the stairs. And then the main floor, that one had a, a kitchen and it had a living room, dining room and sitting room, whatever you want to call it. So again, like the layout was really easy to, uh, to convert. It was just throwing up a few walls. I threw a bathroom actually in the addition at the rear that was already there on the main floor. So it was just a very efficient use of the, of the existing layout that allowed for this. To be honest, a bulk of the, like the big bulk of the budget was on the basement because the basement we just had to totally rip out. We didn't underpin, but we had to rip out everything that was there. We had to move where, where the rough-in was. It was. That was probably 45K of the reno was just the basement. These numbers still sound ridiculously small. <laughs> it was really good. Are, are spending. And now, were you just uh, contracting this all yourself? Yeah. So uh, there was a, there was a GC that my agent had been working with for twenty years, and uh, he's just an absolute superstar. And he was close to retirement, so he just you know he just did it for for whatever made sense to him, and and that's how we got it in uh, nice. at a really reasonable price. Any issue with the permitting process? Uh, no. So actually we did permits for the, uh, for the entrance because it was exterior, but we didn't do permits for the rest. Um, we built everything mm-hmm. according to fire code, according to building code, but we didn't go with permits because the zoning in this, in this area doesn't permit, uh, triplexes. Right. Is that common there to see, to see units that people just do the reno, even though it's, so it's, it's non-conforming, you won't get it approved, but, but it's, it's there. It's incredibly, incredibly common. And I'd almost say it's crucial because very little um, of the existing zoning does allow for triplexes and intensification to the, um, uh, to the degree that we need in order to address our housing shortage. So it's, you know, people are doing it, A, because it makes sense, but B, because it's really needed. Right. Okay. And I'm like, I'm with you. I mean, uh, whatever I can get away with <laughs> as yeah, far right? as this, if, I, if it makes sense. Right. I mean, I'm not going to do yeah. things that are, that are unethical, but yeah, yeah. If, if you're adding good quality stock to the inventory, I mean, for me, I don't see any issue. Um, you want to, you want to hear a bit of a funny story. So the, sure. um, I did have an inspector for the entrance that we cut out uh, down to the basement. Mm-hmm. So he came by and uh, he's looking at this at this entrance and he, he's not stupid. He's looking inside. He's seeing that we're doing a little bit of work in there. He's like, so are you going to you're going to put another unit in there? And I said, to be honest, I'm not really sure. Like we haven't really fully decided yet. And he said, I'm going to pretend I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what it's like in, in Toronto mm-hmm. right now. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm just curious. Cause like, I know in Hamilton, if people were to go after the illegal units that are being added, it would shut down half the city. Yeah. Cause so much of what they're doing, all these, these, uh, duplexes that are being turned into fourplexes illegally. So they're legal duplexes and people are adding two more. Yeah. It's a shame we have to play these games. Um, because like, what do you, when you assess the probability of, of it becoming, you know, one day, like they say you can't use it. Like, what's your contingency plan there? How do you look at that and, and size that up and say, that makes sense to me as an investor to take that risk? 
Yeah. So it's part of the reason why I always go for triplexes. I don't do duplexes. Um, <laughs> is that when, when that day comes, it's still viable as a duplex. It's still cash flowing as a duplex. Uh, I can make it into a four bedroom, uh, one unit and two bedroom, another unit in the absolute worst case scenario. Um, that still cash flows pretty, pretty well if I had to. Right. Okay. And, and so you're saying it would be easy to go back and just get the, do a duplex conversion permit on the house. Yeah. And that's, that's no problem there. Okay. Exactly. So that's good to know. It, it's good to have that contingency. I've always said this about the student rentals. I wouldn't mind adding an extra bedroom, you know, have a sixth bedroom that was illegal instead of a five. As right. long as I knew I would still make it work as a five. That's right. Yeah. And actually that, that's, uh, brings me into, uh, what we did with our, with our second one, um, okay. because yeah, we did that kind of in reverse. So after we refinanced that first one, we, we had to keep about a hundred K in our first, uh, in our first one. And so then all of a sudden I had a bunch of cash and right in the middle of the COVID dip where everybody was freaking out, it was June, 2020, I snagged a, another semi-detached single family home, three bedroom, bigger than this one actually. And, uh, and then we did the exact same strategy there, but the area that the second one is in, I wasn't as confident that I was going to be able to get the lift just from the fact that it's now a triplex. So the second one, the plan was I'm going to make this thing into a legal duplex. And then once the, but it's going to be in, in such a layout that once the permits are closed for like the fully legal duplex, I'm going to rip out the stairs um, and then throw in the bathrooms right where the stairs were. And then bam, I've got three units. So that one, I did fully permitted. Um, it costs quite a bit more. That one cost me 140 total uh, to do. So that one, let, let's do the numbers on that one. Sure. That one was yeah. Crazy. So you, what'd you buy that one for? 775. And uh, what neighborhood like would this be in? Uh, so if you're familiar with Toronto, it's right beside the junction. Okay. So just north of High Park. You got it. Yeah. So it's, it's in that area. So I bought it 775. It's a semi-detached, uh, three story or two story plus a basement. Uh, I had a, it had a um, built-in garage. Um, so the plan with that one was again, triplex three, two bedroom units. So okay. what we did with that one was the top floor, we made officially its own unit. And then the main floor and basement we did as, as per the plan, another okay. unit. And uh, we left the existing bathroom that was in the basement there for the purposes of the permit. And then once we, once we um, finished renovating the main floor, but there was no bathroom, the main floor and the basement were one unit, closed the permit, everything was good. And then we ripped out the stairs between the main floor and the basement. And in the place where those stairs were, then that's where we put the main floor bathroom and the basement bathroom. And then we were done. Oh, and okay. I also, so you added in the main floor bathroom where the stairs were. Okay. Exactly. And then the basement, it used to be just enough room for, for one bedroom, but I actually converted the garage into a bedroom because it was a built-in garage. Okay. So that's, that's when it became a two bedroom. It's actually the biggest unit in the house. So the basement bedroom is the biggest one. Yeah. Um, a couple of follow-up questions here. One, what did you do for heat in the garage? Um, there were vents already going down, um, into the basement. So all we had to do was just like branch off one of the, one of the vents and we just put it right into there. So straight out the wall of the yeah. garage into the, the space. Okay. Did you re-insulate yeah. the outer walls of the garage or there were yeah. no outside walls? There was no outside wall, uh, where the garage door used to be. So we just put a new wall that is insulated. Oh, an insulated wall right in front of the garage door. So from, from the outside, it still looks like a garage. 
Uh, no, the garage door is gone. Now where the garage door was about three feet in, now there's just a wall. Okay. So looking at it from the outside, what does it look like? It looks like a garage, but then there's no, there's no garage door on it. And instead of where the door is, there's now a, a cement wall. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Um, now what about the floor in the garage? So does that get cold now in the winter? No, we put, uh, we put like a few layers of insulation underneath that and whatever my contractor said we should put on there. I think it was called Detra or something like that. So you put like a continuous insulation on the ground and then lay yeah. the flooring on top of it. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a smart move. I still yeah. find that those will get cold though, unless you have circulating warm air underneath or uh, like a radiant heat. But at the end of the day, I guess it doesn't really matter. <laughs> Your tenants well, don't love it. It's not perfect. It may not be perfect. It's uh, um, I haven't actually had a tenant there through the winter yet. And so okay. um, so we'll see. Um, it is a rather well-insulated unit. And so I'm not going to be surprised if it's not a problem. But if it is, we'll figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just asking out of curiosity. I don't think it's yeah. make or break. I think at the end of the day, where you might notice if it's uh, working or not working is whether or not you're having high turnover in that unit or not. Fair, but yeah. uh, I mean, I think there's like a dollar uh, dollar value that works for people. So you know, I guess that's something you'll manage. But it could be an awesome unit. I'm just saying that might be something that you notice. The other thing I've I've heard other people say, not specifically that I've that I've experienced it myself, although I I do question it on one of my duplexes, mm -hmm. was it kept turning over, and I think it had something to do with noise. Have you mm -hmm. done something to separate these uh, these units uh, from a noise standpoint? I did, yeah. So when we were when we were building the uh, basement unit, that's the one that I was most worried about. So we did put extra sound barriers between the main floor and, and the basement. And the joists. Yeah, exactly. And then to do your permit um, with the city, they obviously wanted you to do rock saw between the first and second floor yep. and uh, resilient channel as well. Yep. Okay. So you did all that. Um, okay. So let's let's keep working through these numbers. So one hundred and forty-five thousand. You said. Yeah. Okay. Again, and then, it was the same contractor. And so he was, he okay. was like, this is my last hurrah. So let's just get this done. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, what kind of carrying, uh, did you have carrying costs on top of that or that, that one forty five included your carrying and insurance and all that? Uh, carrying insurance was about 16. So that one I actually bought at 6.8% down. Mm -hmm. I did uh, a high ratio mortgage on that one. Okay. Uh, Cause I bought it as a, as a set, as another time or another instance of a primary residence so okay yeah. so so you had your cmhc insurance fee in there too so that yeah, sixteen thousand exactly. does that come cover the cmhc insurance and any carrying costs throughout the, the reno that's right yeah okay the reno was about four months four months okay yeah. so added sixteen thousand to that so your purchase and renovations i've got it coming in around three uh sorry nine thirty six yep okay and then what kind of value did you get uh, so I got a refi again, this is four and a half months later and it was a million 50. Okay. So a million 50. So then your new mortgage would have been about 840 on that at 80%. You got it. Yep. Okay. And then your net investment would be 96,000. You got it. So you're leaving 96,000 in. Yep. Okay. Let's run through the numbers on rents. Like what, what's the, what's it look like per, per unit? So right now it's fully rented at uh, so the top level is 2100. Okay. Uh, main floor is 2000. Okay. And lower level is 1950. Those are some good rents. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So pretty low vacancy there in, in that area, I'm guessing. 
very low. You're probably not going to see see those units go vacant very often. Not very often. Okay. Uh, taxes, what are they going to be? 3300 33 yeah. Now that's before they've reassessed after your renovation? Um, they did reassess after, but I don't think that they made it into a legal duplex uh, in the reassessment. So they may reassess again. Uh, oh, okay. so it, it might go up again later. Sure. Okay. Yeah. What's your, um, your house insurance there? Uh, 110. You get some, some good deals. I do. <laughs> I guess the building, you know, isn't that big, right? I, I have to adjust exactly. my, my thought process because the buildings are smaller in Toronto. That's right. Um, okay. So maintenance wise, um, default is 5% in my spreadsheet. Is that, yep. yeah, so that's like 3,600 a year. I think that should cover what comes up hopefully, unless you have yeah. something real bad happen. So I put in brand new everything. I put in a new furnace, new hot water tank, all the kitchens and bathrooms are all totally new. Uh, the wiring is new as well. So, um, these are, it's essentially a gut, but I didn't take down all the walls. Gotcha. So yeah, uh, you do, you do it cost effective compared to a lot of the people's numbers I hear. So that's yeah. great. Um, utilities wise, what are you paying for? They pay for gas and they pay for hydro. I pay water. Okay. So your water, what are you averaging per month? I think it's 190, 130, somewhere in between those two. <laughs> we'll yeah. Call it 160. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So 160 times 12. So that's about 1920 a year. Mm-hmm. And um, management, are you paying management or are you managing? No, I'm managing myself. Okay. So zero for management. And then I like to just leave 500 bucks in for miscellaneous um, costs uh, associated with your managing it. Mm-hmm. Landscaping, are you doing any of that? Nope. Uh, so- my, my main floor tenant enjoys that. So they do the landscaping, shovel their yep. own driveway and walkway, all, yep. the, all that stuff. Okay, cool. So let's just adjust the rest of this for our new mortgage. So not that anyone really cares about cap rates anymore, but I got a 5.8% cap rate on your value for the, for the uh, cash flow you're getting. Okay, what kind of interest rate did you get? A 1.7. 1.7. Wow, that's going to be a beast for cash flow. <laughs> Yeah, I got, I got 2100 a month. <laughs> yep. That's that's pretty solid for something you've only got 90 some odd thousand into. 96,000. That's yep. incredible. And uh, if we figure that goes up 3% a year, so that's like $30,000 in appreciation a year, which is obviously shooting low. Um, we got more pay down. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's volatile, right? It could go up, could go down. That's the other thing. But in the yeah. long run, I think that's a, a fairly reasonable assumption, especially with the inflation we've got coming. Yep. Um, so mortgage pay down, that's about uh, twenty two thousand over the the first uh, each year over the first five years, and uh, your total return there, including your cash flow, twenty five thousand is seventy nine, just short of eighty thousand a year. So your uh, what do we got here, including your well, your land transfers double. So this is a little bit off, but I got like a 70 percent return on investment here, sixty five percent. Not bad. Yeah, that's I put my money out at seventy <laughs> percent. <laughs> <laughs> now there is it's obviously not that that straightforward right like you've got yeah. uh you do have a lot of um we'll call it sweat equity in there mm-hmm. how much of your time would you say it took to oversee that when it was uh when it was at the beginning of the project i was there a lot um it was getting the plans together doing this in the way that makes sense with the layout that was there and all that. So it was, it was a lot of uh, work at the beginning, but once the contractors got going, it was, I was pretty much not even there at all. Um, so if I had to estimate time-wise, maybe 200 hours type of thing, somewhere in the beginning. Into and each then, one or that was just the second one you're referencing. That was just the second one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
So okay. yeah, something like that. You know what? I mean, in my mind, I'm happy to invest those kind of hours in something that totally. I want to just keep forever. Yeah. You and know, I'm it, never planning to sell these things. Yeah. Which I said about my student rentals, but things change. Right. <laughs> but, yeah. but you start off with that intent. So that's great. Yeah. Um, you know, and then obviously if I have new opportunities come up, you you obviously uh, can adjust down the road. Yeah. Okay. Um, what are you working on now? So my plan when I was starting these things, I said, okay, well, if I get four of these things cash flow in the same the way that that these, that these two are, uh, the first one, the numbers are very very similar. Um, so if I get four of these, then I've covered my family's um, any any kind of expense that my family has, we're done, we're good. And then my my plan after that was to get into development. But then as Toronto prices started to go even crazier, um, the formula that I was following to to do these. It just wasn't working anymore. And uh, it was around that same time that I decided to really level up. And uh, I signed up with, uh, with the Corey McKinnon um, coaching program. And actually, my coach was, I think, your last or second last guest, Michael, Michael Watch. Yeah. Okay. Um, so I signed up with them. And, and through uh, the coaching and through a lot of the mindset stuff that we're doing, I just said, okay, I can, I can just start the development now. Let's just go. Yeah. So... Uh, in May of this year, I bought a property not too far from the first one. This is in the Oakwood and Vaughn, Vaughn Road area. And this yeah. one, I'm doing a big flip. So this one, um, we're not tearing the house down, but we're going to be essentially um, adding a three-story rear addition. Okay. And we're going to be adding a third floor and underpinning. And we bought this one for $848. And okay. our, our estimated out is about two mil. So, yeah. So, how much are you planning into putting putting into that one? It's going to be somewhere between five fifty and six fifty, depending on mm-hmm. some of the material costs and what's what happens with uh, with the trades in the next uh, year or so. Because this one's going to be, we're going through committee of adjustments. We're going through like full bore on this one. So a lot can happen in a year. But right now, we're looking at five fifty to six fifty for the for the Reno. Okay, so just walk me through why you need to go to committee of adjustments. So and so the plan is to do what to it again. So it's currently a 700 square foot, one and a half story, hundred year old home. Okay. We didn't want to detached. Yeah. Uh, It's on a small lot. Um, And so we didn't want to tear it down because there's all sorts of implications to that. There's like HST and there's Terry on, there's all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. So, um, so on this, on this particular property, if we were to build to maximum GFA, like, so the ground, uh, the gross floor area, um, if we built up to the maximum that was allowed without going to committee, it would be a tiny home. It would be like, I think 1300 something square foot, totally not worth the project. But this area is very, very quickly transforming. And so all through this neighborhood, in fact, within two streets of the, the project that I'm doing, there's 16 projects either recently completed or are in progress right now of the same nature. So it's, it's also these old family homes, either bungalow or one and a half story, getting turned into these new luxury, three-story, skinny, tall, uh, brand new single family homes. Okay. So the whole, the whole area, the character of it is changing. Uh, so I have all these precedents uh, for, for going to committee. And so when, when I looked at this particular lot, it just made sense uh, to, to just ride that same trend. Okay. So now I always like to dig into the plan A, B, and C yeah, here. So it. plan A is obviously you get it all, all that you want. You make $400,000 in profit, maybe five or who knows by then, maybe it's a million. 
<laughs> and uh, <laughs> only hope. Okay, and then if they say no to your request, obviously there's probably some some middle ground where you'll have to take a few months, mm-hmm. burn a few more uh, you know months of interest and, and insurance costs to resubmit, assuming your designer can go quickly. That's and then right. go back for the process. You, reasonably, if they say no the first time, you might be into six months to, to reapply. Mm-hmm. Um, so you go for something in the middle, but you'd have their feedback. They'd tell you, yeah, we'd be more likely to, to approve this uh, if you ask them. Um, That's right. Th- what's your plan C? Like, what if they say just nothing at all and you're, you're right back to your existing footprint or uh, something that conforms with zoning? Yeah, if we're back to the existing footprint, then the construction costs are going to be much, 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 much smaller. Uh, so we can get back out with uh, taking about you know fifty fifty thousand dollars profit or so if we just go with a with the little uh, build. But that's that's not the that's not what we're going for. But it's it's a viable option if we have to. But that's the name of this game, in my opinion. Under normal circumstances, if I can gamble and you know my plan A and B are great, my plan C is a break even. Those yeah. sound like that's a reasonable project to me. Or you know make a little bit on plan C. That's ideal. Yeah. Um, that's that's the type of thing where if you do enough of those, you really start winning big. Yeah, like in, uh, in Stefan Arnio's book, he talks about uh, singles versus home runs. So those are those singles uh, that he was talking about. But uh, even if you swing for a home run and hit a single, that's not so bad either. Right, right, yeah. And yeah, there's so many ways to apply that logic. I wish I had thought of that kind of thing when I got started. It would have saved myself a lot of headaches. Yeah. Um, but that's... that's uh, something I've learned. And I think that a lot of people apply that wisdom now because I, because I say, I'm not trying to take all the credit. I think a lot of people do, but yeah, always having those contingencies, like probably one of the single most important things you could do in this business. Absolutely. Now, one of the things that I wasn't sure about was this, this whole committee. It's, it's something Mm -hmm. that a lot of people have a lot of fear around. And there's also, as I found through my research, a lot of misinformation about it. There's, um, there's ways to mitigate um, and anticipate um, the problems that the committee could throw up. So one of the things that I did as I was uh, in the early phases of this project is I pulled up all of the Committee of Adjustments decisions uh, for this area for the last 10 years. And that gives you a pretty good idea as to what kind of things are getting passed, what kind of variances are having problems getting passed, because generally the same committee uh, will be there over, over a period of time. And so through there, not only do you see what the decisions were, but you also get to see who represented the successful applications. Mm. And so from there, I actually reverse engineered um, how to put together a successful application. Uh, so I hired an architect that's, that's uh, experienced in this area. So has gone through this exact process before with this same committee. But most importantly, I'm going ha- to be using a planner to represent me to the committee. And this planner um, has the track record of passing the most ambitious, the biggest projects in this area, compared to which mine is actually not that big. Um, so this planner, uh, she actually got a giant fourplex, uh, passed in this area, which is, it's completely not, not zoned for this. It's, it's completely bonkers that she got it done, but that's the kind of project that she gets done. However she does it, she gets it done and she has a track record. So I'm putting her on my team, trying to anticipate how to create this application in a way that, that mitigates that. The other thing that the architect does is the architect, um, gets pre-consultations with the city before we even submit. 
And the architect can get input as to, you know, this one, you're going to have trouble passing. This, you might be okay. Maybe the combination of these makes sense, but this one you want to you steer clear of. So as, this, as the plans are coming together, before you even submit, you can start to zero in on what it is that's going to have the highest likelihood. Also, if you do some things like talk to the neighbors before you even submit, so you can anticipate any sort of problems or any, any issues that they may have. If you show that your plans are taking into account issues that your neighbors may have, um, that looks really good because they want to see you working with the people. They want they want to see that you're trying to, uh, to be accommodating to the people that you're going to be affecting. So all of those things increase your odds. Nothing's guaranteed, of course. Um, so that's that's something that, that I've learned as I've gone through this process with committee. Dude, that was pure gold. Everybody who's listening and watching this just needs to rewind and listen to that like three, four more times if they're thinking about doing development. Um, yeah, you said I said uh, a lot of the right things there. Talking to your neighbors, heading heading off problems before they happen. Um, yeah. Being known is better than not being known. The people who get a lot of development deals done, they seem to know their communities. And yeah, uh, yeah so you're you're saying the right things there. I loved what you said about reverse engineering and searching for what's been approved and then finding the experts. Like that's to a T what I've done when I've been successful, not specifically in this, but with anything I've done, go find the people who are doing it and doing it right. Right. Um, how did you search that? Is is it easy easily searchable online in Toronto? Yeah. So you actually have to pay for it. It's about one hundred ten bucks, and uh, and that gets you. I think it's within three hundred meters of of the address that you're looking for, and it gets you ten years. So you just um, get a report. You just buy a report, and you can go through everything. That's right. Money well spent, man. That's, Very well uh, spent. Yeah. And actually, that was my architect. So my architect told me about this. So when I when I hired my architect, we were talking about, hey, I have a very ambitious plan here. How do we pull this off? And so he mentioned, hey, if you do this, if you pull up all those reports, you'll get an idea of how we can do this um, or what we can reasonably, reasonably expect to get passed. Um, and then it was actually in those reports as I was pouring through them, because I'm a big data nerd, um, that that's where I found a recurring theme of this same plan or getting these things passed. So that was like a, a next step that I, that I took it. Okay. So your architect said he had some experience. How'd you find him? He's fantastic. So what I'd say is that the most important thing is to have the right person for the right job. And my architect is very well aware of what he's really good at. He's fantastic at communication. He's fantastic at the technical aspects of it. He's very fast. He's really, really good at all those things. But when I told him, listen, I want to go for uh, 127% uh, GFA, uh, he said, I'm only comfortable going up to 110%. I'm only comfortable representing an application that goes up to 110%. And I said, okay, well, 110% doesn't make this a viable project for me, um, for what I'm trying to do. Um, so I'm going to work with somebody who I think can do that. And he said, absolutely, that's no problem. Because, you know, for him, it's most important to get this project done. Um, and so it's totally normal to have an architect and to have a represent a different representative uh, take it to committee. Right. Okay. So he just didn't want to go to committee himself unless you had an, an urban uh, planner. No, it was that if if we were doing a project with 110% GFA, he was okay with that. He can okay. represent that. But going that ambitious, going that big. He didn't um, think you get it done. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So did he recommend this uh, urban planner or you just saw specifically that this urban planner was getting it done? Uh, it was actually both. It was that I saw that this urban planner was getting it done. And he also had had experiences with this urban planner. And so that that just made sense. Okay. And, and where did you find your architect, by the way? 
Uh, it was a recommendation from a, uh, a GC that I was looking to do the build. Okay. I love yeah. how these, these little connections are made, right? You ask enough yeah. people, enough questions, all of a sudden you find, you find a, a real gem. Um, yeah. Now, the obvious concern when, when someone's looking at a project like this is the burn rate. Mm-hmm. How much are you paying? How long are you going to wait? So how did you quantify all that and how did you end up feeling comfortable? Again, it was just talk to the people that have done this stuff, leverage, leverage off their experience. So I talked to, I think it was at the time that I was doing my initial research, it was nine people that had been doing these kinds of projects in Toronto. So essentially flippers, mm-hmm. um, but bigger flippers, not ones that just took on lipsticks, uh, just the people that took on these bigger projects. So I asked them, what can I expect in terms of waiting? I talked to architects and, and I figured out how much time am I, am I, should I be budgeting for the, uh, for the uh, committee of adjustments phase? How much time should I be budgeting for the construction phase? How much time should I be budgeting for contingencies on both of these? What if things go wrong there? What if things go wrong there? And so based off of the best information I can get, I just compiled all that and said, okay, well, here's my number that I think is reasonable to expect budgeted for that. And we were, we're still good. That's awesome. So what is your expectation of time here? Like how long do you think start to finish? 18 months. 18 months. And you closed on this when? May. In May. Okay. And how far along are you in this process? So we're expecting our zoning review to be back this week. Uh, It might be back next week, but that's okay. And And this is just city staff is circulating it right now? That's right. Okay. Uh, so zoning review is essentially you have your, your architect puts together the plans and then you mm-hmm. send it in for the city to take a look at. And they say, these are the things that are not in compliance with the zoning for the area. These are the things that you're going to require a variance for. And then we take that list of variances and we say, okay, we're going to go to committee with this list. Or we adjust our plans and say, you know, we don't want to go for these variances. That is going to make our application harder. We may, we may tweak it again. Uh, to remove some of those variances or the need for some of those variances. And that may take an extra month, but it may increase our odds greatly of getting committee passed. Right. One of the things that I would do if I was in that conversation with zoning already, and I'm sure your architect has already, or your urban planner has already done this, is, is just ask them, hey, like, would you support this? That's mm-hmm. that's the key thing. Like, what would it take for you to support this? You know, kind of f- find a way to phrase that so you don't get a no, because yeah. no is no fun. <laughs> yeah. The, the what would you what would it take that opens up the conversation to oh okay, all I'd have to do is make this tweak because I'd rather not push push the business uphill as Matt McKeever would say like I'd rather oh. go in and say and I've heard a lot of people say this go in and ask them what they need what 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 are you supporting right now what are the common things you see getting approved right now asking questions like that yeah. tends to get answers that that lead to more positive things. Yeah, that's a great advice. And like, I'm still keeping an eye on what's getting passed in my neighborhood. Like even on my same street, uh, there's a house that's, I think it's uh, it's 12 houses down from mine. Um, that one got a approval from committee uh, and it's a massive house, actually quite a bit bigger than mine. Um, and that one got passed, uh, it's now three weeks ago. Uh, okay. So we have like very recent projects coming through and we can see what, what they're passing there as well. Okay. Now in, in, in the information in the report, you get, you get to see the address. Do you get to see the designs that were submitted with it? Yeah. Oh, okay. So you've, you've got full, full detail. So you can just copy what they've done and say, well, guys, you supported this. Yeah. Um, and I know, um, 
Marco out of, out in Windsor, I'm going to give him a shout out. I know he's had a similar experience. He just goes in and says, well, you approve them and you approve them. Mine's pretty much the same. And he's gotten approval that by kind of arguing that. Exactly. Uh, it's never but, a guarantee, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a good indication of where the, what the, uh, the appetite is. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Like you said, never a guarantee, but it's a pretty, like if you're, if you're betting man, the odds are heavily in your favor. It's not like going to the casino. So as long as you can mitigate your plan, you know, see here, your downside, um, then, uh, in my mind, that makes a ton of sense to do. So just with the, you know, you, you mentioned and touched on this a little bit, just kind of with the outlook, uh, a lot of the supply chain issues that are seemingly only getting worse now. Um, what are your thoughts going forward? Does this affect your business plan in any way? Um, as you think beyond even this property, you know, where do you want to grow? Is it still Toronto or are you going to be expanding elsewhere? It's a great question. So, um, the reason I'm doing this project is actually a little bit financial, but mostly it's actually to learn Mm -hmm. because my plan is to get into larger development. So this project is allowing me to go through more of the steps of getting a house from idea to reality. Um, going through some of this city bureaucracy and all that, uh, working with projects that have a longer timeline, that have a larger team, coordinating that team. Um, so all of these things are, are more for, for the learning, for me, to be able to coordinate these larger projects. So my goal is set uh, for the next uh, three months to actually close on some land that I can develop a townhouses on. Um, it was actually a few weeks ago, I, I took a, I took a run at uh, one property, um, here in Toronto that we could have potentially put eight townhouses on. And that was, that was a pretty big step and a pretty scary step for me because it was going to be, you know, another zero on top of pretty much every number that I've ever worked with. But, um, it was, it was, it was huge, but all of that together, that's the plan to get to get to townhouses next. And then even that's just a step towards subdivisions. Um, the vision is honestly, I just want to, I just want to create stuff. I just want to create stuff and also do stuff that scares me. Um, cause I always want to keep growing. So that's, that's the, the goal here. Yeah. I like, like the sounds of that. That's great. Um, and I think the same, you know, small stuff doesn't really, um, doesn't really wow me or thrill me, you know, to, to get into, I've kind of been there, done that. I only really want to get into bigger stuff these days. Um, of course there's still the production. I'm doing the single lots in Florida and what have you, but, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I I'm on the same page with you there with the development. It, It is the challenge of the longer term play. Um, when you look at properties like that, how are you managing your downside? I mean, I, obviously your upside on development is way bigger than, than what you're talking about on this, this single family home, but how do you manage your downside? Well, that's a great question. So right now I'm very much in the, in the sponge phase. I'm learning absolutely everything that I can. So I have, I have textbooks of, uh, development processes. I'm setting up meetings with people that, that are doing projects on this scale, um, I'm talking to planners, architects, uh, planning consultants, uh, getting very clear on what the, the whole workflow of this pro- these kinds of projects are. And then I'm also looking at the various exit strategies. So, you know, one of, uh, when I did the Cashflow, boot, uh, Cashflow Tribe Bootcamp, uh, one of the biggest takeaways for me is always have multiple, multiple uh, viable exit strategies. So for this project that I was looking at, there were multiple viable exit strategies. We could just take it up to site plan approved and then sell off the land. Um, after that, we could join venture with a, with a builder, or we could get construction funding and then build, do the build ourselves. Um, there was all these different ways that we can, we can structure this once we're actually in the deal. 
Um, so that's the way that that I've been going about mitigating the downside. And there's so much that I don't know that I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. and, I'm, and I'm looking to continue to grow my network and grow my knowledge base on how to further uh, mitigate those downsides. Okay, so I have a question for you about your financing and how, how you anticipate growing here. Um, what are you working with right now personally that you want to invest? Uh, in terms of like how much personal money- capital, yeah, personal capital that you're ready to invest in your own projects. So once I actually sell this uh, this flip that I was uh, telling you about, I'm going to have close to half a million that I can that I can put in. Okay, so is your plan to eventually take on partners, or you want to keep doing this individually? Absolutely. So um, I'm not greedy. Um, there's there's plenty <laughs> plenty of money to be made for everybody, and I think building a team of people that want to work together and people that enjoy working together that all bring something. Uh, right. to the to the table is probably the best and most powerful strategy that I can think of to to grow. And one of the biggest shifts for me was when I read Who Not How. Mm-hmm. Um, and I always had this idea that I have to know everything. I have to do everything. I have to coordinate everything myself. But it was actually because of, of reading Who Not How that that removed that block. I said, I don't need to know how to plan one of these. I just need to know someone that knows how to plan one of these. Um, yeah. I, I don't need to be raising all the capital myself. I just need to know somebody and bring somebody in who is excellent at raising capital. That's their happy place. Because mm-hmm. that's not my happy place, if I'm honest. My yeah, what's happy, your happy place? My happy place is vision. My happy place is analysis. Uh, my happy place is coordination. That's what I love to do. Um, so as much as I can fill out the team with, with the people that, you know, that perform all of the other functions that need for, that are needed for one of these projects to happen, I'm happy to do that. I think it's, mm-hmm. it's just so much more scalable, um, that way than if I just keep doing it myself. Yeah. yeah talk to me when, when you got something, well, we'll, we'll, we'll talk more about kind of what you're looking for. Maybe I can get involved in some way or, uh, yeah, I, I'm literally just thinking out loud right now, but, um, when people talk big and think big, you know, that, that I'm, I'm interested in that. So, um, now in, in terms of your day job, like you're, are you working nine to five on top of this or what's happening there? <laughs> I actually am. So, yeah. um, so I've been running a SharePoint consulting company for, uh, at this point was close to 14 years. So, um, it doesn't take me a particularly long time to do the stuff that I need to do for, for my day job. So, it's something that um, I'm planning to get out of sooner than later, um, but exactly when to make that transition. So I, I also have a little one-year-old kid right now. And, um, thank you. Thank you. He's, uh, he's amazing. And I, <laughs> I never grew up like aspiring to be a dad, but being dad is probably the best thing in my life. So it's, it's really, really something. And, uh, but then there are some additional you know, financial responsibility. So once I'm ready to, to get out of that entirely, then, then I'm, I'll, I'll happily do it. Okay. So this is your company that, okay. Yep. So you do have some flexibility there. That's why it pays to work for yourself. Exactly. The boss doesn't get angry with you. <laughs> Just the clients. <laughs> she yeah. does for other reasons, but that's, yeah. that's not. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I gotcha. Yeah. Um, all right. And is your wife working as well? Yeah. So my wife is the sane one between the two of us. Um, my wife is a pharmacist and she loves it that way. She loves to work. She loves okay. the, the daily sort of predictability of, of just having a fantastic job. She gets paid really well. So we've been able to, uh, it's, it's looked really good on mortgage applications. So that's why we've been able to play in the Toronto market uh, where otherwise it would have been rather difficult to do so. 
Yeah, it, it is such an asset in a way to have a job, to have to have that confirmable, consistent income. Yeah, I, I always say this: if you got a company, pay yourself consistently every year. Don't don't pay yourself really well in a good year and not pay yourself the next because you didn't have a great year. Find a way to keep it consistent. Oh, um, I found that out the hard way when I was working with my broker uh, with our second mortgage. Um, we ran into an interesting situation with Scotia, who we were trying to close with, where they used uh, something called a gross up where even if you're a consultant and you have your T1 generals and you're filing in one year, you filed 60 K for example, then the next year you're like, Oh, this is a bumper year. I'm getting 190 K. They won't even use the 190. They won't even average it out. Uh, they have a maximum that you can grow from year to year salary wise that they'll count. Yeah. So this yeah. is why it, it all goes into the corp and I'll have very different years. I'll have one year with an insane amount of sales and one year with less. And, yeah. and, uh, no matter what they, they don't even, some of them like Scotia, for instance, didn't even ask to see my financial statements. All they cared about was my T5. Right. So they just want to see my T5, which is my dividend statement. And as long as that's consistent, right. nothing else really matters. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Keep them out of your business. If you can, like I've noticed working with RBC, they ask everything. They want to see every financial statement from every holding company. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, whereas there's other lenders that as long as you can give them just a consistent T5, that questions kind of stop. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, be consistent. If that's that's one thing I've learned from my time as an investor and in the broker world, definitely. Um, okay, um, Yakov, great conversation. Any any specific advice you'd like to leave people with? Oh man, there's, there's a few things. So first is um, when I started this, I thought I had to do everything myself. Um, so as early in, in your journey as possible, get connected to a network of some kind. Mm-hmm. Um, whether it's, uh, it's a Facebook group or it's a coaching community or whatever it is that you can do to get in touch with other people that are doing what you're doing. It's the, it's, it's such a giant shortcut to learn off other people's mistakes. You just don't have the time or money to, to learn all those things yourself. Uh, so that, that's huge. Um, a big hurdle that I had was paying for coaching, but coaching compresses time and time is the only irreplaceable resource that we have. Um, so if you're serious about this, if someone's serious, then I, I would definitely recommend, uh, getting into some sort of coaching program as, as soon as possible. Um, and even if you do that and you find out that this isn't what you want to do, well, that's a pretty cheap way to find out rather than a few years and, and lots of money down the road. Um, so there's that, um, mindset is far more important than any of the technical stuff that, you know, we've been discussing mostly technical and numbers and things like that, but the mindset, like everyone will, and everyone knows how to lose weight. Um, but very few people actually do it. The difference is the mindset. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people will know how to do these kinds of investments, but they won't do it because of mindset. So work on your mindset, at least as much as, uh, at least as much as you do on, on raising your knowledge and building your network and everything like that. Um, and, and, and also definitely listen to every episode that Andrew Hines has ever done. Um, <laughs> like, honestly, it was so key for me at the beginning because I had no idea what I didn't know. And going through your podcast, it was not just a breakdown of the numbers. But yeah, the numbers are great. But it was also you talked about the lifestyle that these various strategies that people had, what that lifestyle looked like. And that was huge because that gave me an idea of what this person's doing. Do I aspire to that? Do I aspire to to that person's life? I don't, or I do, or this fits or this doesn't. And it really allowed me to, 
uh, instead of trying every strategy, just allowed me to just shortcut that whole process and narrow it down on what's most important to me. Yeah, they say you can learn from mistakes or mentors, right? And yeah. uh, I I did the mistakes route. But what I've really started to notice is that a lot of people are avoiding the mistakes I made. And a lot of them remember the stories. So yeah. uh, that's why I love sharing stories because stories, people can internalize that and say, wow, that would really suck. I don't want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> you remember yeah. stories. So <laughs> yeah. um, what do they say? Stories tell and or was it uh, words tell and stories sell or something like that? So, yeah, I've heard that yeah. before. Yeah. 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 Stories are everything. So, yeah. And I, I find I learn very well when people teach that way, when they, they yeah. just share stories or get really animated. So, yeah. Um, cool, man. This was this was awesome. How How do people get in touch with you or follow you? Um, so on Instagram, I'm relatively new to social media. I never really put any value behind it, but I'm starting to again out of, out of the coaching. Uh, so by all means, again, uh, touch on YVL properties, uh, on Instagram or on Facebook. Um, or I, I have a website, YVL properties as well. Uh, so anywhere is good. Okay. I'll, I'll include those links for you. And, um, if you could send me a portrait of yourself something that's uh, not a Facebook photo because I need it to be big sure. enough that I can make promo for it. Yeah, and yeah. Um, other than that, I think that uh, that should be everything I need from nice. you. Um, oh, there was one other thing that I wanted to throw uh, in the best advice that I can. It's okay. find, find your why early. Find out really why you're doing this. Um, there's an activity, it's called Seven Layers of Why. Really get to the heart of what it is that's driving you. Because once you get... Once you get to the heart of what it is that's driving you, all of the roller coaster of of, of uh, real estate investing, all of the things that are going to get thrown in your way, you'll have something that you can rely on to help you bust through all of the obstacles that are going to be in your way if you have a powerful enough why. And if you don't, one of these things is likely to just knock you off and knock mm-hmm. you uh, off off a path on this. And that's that's really painful and hard to, to get back over. So really getting to that why is is so key. Otherwise, yeah. this is a business, man. It's tough. Yeah. And I'm going to say something that a lot of people don't want to hear. If you don't have that why and you're comfortable in your current employment and your current situation, you're never going to do anything. Yeah. That's the hard, that's the hard truth. If you're not clear on why. Because this is why, like they call it, golden handcuffs. You know, a, a job, a job, and a pension are are things that keep people comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're probably not being aggressive and taking action. So um, maybe and I know Tony Robbins calls it uh, either extreme pain or extreme pleasure motivates. So getting in, in touch with your why can could link you to either. You can mm-hmm. you can link to the extreme pleasure of of achieving your goal or the extreme uh, displeasure of not and uh, <laughs> yeah. whatever it takes. Right. I, I found the why and just being clear on that has been super helpful and it took me a long time to get clear. Mm-hmm. on it. So yeah, not an easy uh, task. Seven layers of why, where do people learn more about that? It's on YouTube. You can just okay. find it there. Yeah. Okay. And I think even if you just Google seven layers of why there's just a worksheet, it's, it's pretty simple, but it's maybe the it's most deep. powerful thing. Yeah. It goes really deep. Yeah. Perfect. They say, um, your why needs to make you cry. And if you're not there, it's yeah, it's probably not it. Absolutely. Okay. Wow, man. Great episode. I'm, I'm going to have to do some highlights out of this one just for, uh, for the stuff you're sharing, the technical stuff. And obviously the, the qual- qualitative stuff is fantastic too. Um, but uh, yeah, I really appreciate this. Man, this has been such an honor. Thank you so much. Like, oh, uh, thank you. It's so huge to, to be able to, if I contribute to anything that's, you know, to anyone that's watching, like that's, that's a huge thing for me. Like, my other goal is to actually get into coaching probably sooner than later. Um, yeah. 
actually two of my two of my like free mentees they just bought their first property so i'm i'm so freaking proud of them it's That's awesome. so huge cool yeah. man well yeah you've got my number i sent you an email um just shoot me a text i'll add you to my phone and then let's stay in touch thanks so much man Okay. It's been awesome. Thank you. All right. Talk soon. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one.